Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we are doing the 42nd Best Picture winner, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy is a 1969 American drama based on the 1965 novel of the same name by James Leo Hurley. Uh, film was adapted by Waldo Scott, and it's directed by John Schlesinger, and it stars John Voight and Dustin Hoffman as um, a pair of very poor members of society living in New York just trying to survive, really. Yeah, it's a... It's a downer. Not the happiest film, no. but I don't know. I It deals with a lot of the kind of seedy underbelly of New York at the time, and... I get but in a way that felt why, kind yeah. of exploitative to me and not like it was actually like telling me that much. But I think I think part of that is because of when this movie happened versus like other movies that have happened since that have maybe dealt with some of those issues and I think a fairer like more impactful manner. Yeah, I think a lot of this film should probably be taken in the time in which it was made. Yeah. So, like, I totally get why it would have been considered as salacious and shocking at the time, but not now. (laughs) I read, like, one critic review that was, like, written in 1994, and they were like, yeah, in 1994, this isn't very shocking, but, like, in 1969, like, this was all, like, shocking and new, which... I'm kind of a person where I'm like, and eh, just because it's shocking, does that mean that it's award-worthy? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't think this was a bad film by any means. Mm-hmm. It just totally agree there. It didn't hold my attention very well, but I think for that's because of the the structure of it. That's fair. We we can get yeah. into all the issues you had with the structure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It is fun fact last canon episode we had the only movie to win an oscar that held a g rating at the time it won this is the only movie to hold an x rating at the time that it won um which would be equivalent to the modern day like nc17 except at the time it would have been nc16 it's like yeah these ratings are super we were, weird. We were reading up on the rating code and like it's it changes all the time it's like kind of I don't know. I don't think it tells you that much, honestly. Okay. Do you want to know why it received that X rating initially? Because it was later reissued in 1971 under an R rating. You know what? Sure. (laughs) It's because United Artists consulted a psychologist who said it should receive an X rating due to, quote, the homosexual frame of reference end quote, Ah. and and it's, quote, possible influence upon youngsters. I'm going to say right now, massive trigger warning for this episode for sexual violence. Yeah. So if that is a trigger for you, I just highly recommend skipping this episode because it will be talked about a lot. Okay. Now that anybody who needed to has turned this off, that is why they gave it an X rating when there's like some pretty graphic and horrific rape sequences that happen repeatedly. So when we were talking about it being of the time it was made, 100%. And this, I actually struggled with kind of how I felt about the gay representation in this film. Because to some extent, in the context of the time, I felt like it wasn't as judgmental about 
the gay characters in the film but at the same time it also was exploitative in the sense that showing joe basically being a gay prostitute like it exploited the characters who showed all of these like really horrible traits of like self-loathing and sneaking around and to some extent kind of perpetuates a lot of the negative stereotypes of gay men that were in that era which i mean sneaking around probably a reality for a lot of people in that era too so i i think you know i'm gonna let you be like authority on that it would have been (laughs) nice if they had shown just like a very kind like not self-loathing gay character like i think if you if you had we're asking too much for a film from 1969 oh i know and i know we always talk about context of the film um so like that is important to keep in mind with this one and like it you know I feel like this is kind of our marker of when we go into the 70s because the 60s has been a weird decade and the 50s was a little bit too but the 60s especially just has it feels like a weird decade where a lot of the best picture winners did not reflect the mood of society at the time I feel like this one does reflect the mood of society at the time and -hmm. it's definitely ushering us into the 70s which is a lot more cohesive and it's very depressing tone but you know those movies I think that we're about to head into make a lot more sense in like the what would have been the contemporary setting so I think this is kind of like our transition piece and by transition piece I mean like a smack upside the head because boy (laughs) boy did sad stuff happen this not only won best picture John Schlesinger won best director It also won Best Adapted Screenplay for Waldo Scott. Dustin Hoffman was nominated for Best Actor. I agree with that. John Voight was nominated for Best Actor. I'll agree with that. Uh, Sylvia Miles was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She played Cass. And then it was also nominated for Film Editing. I agree, I think, with every single one of those nominations. Especially the Film Editing one. I know that you were kind of off-put by some of the... I hated it overtly art film type I editing hated it <laughs> I did not like I didn't editing. hate it I thought it was effective in I several, thought they like, used many the instances. same trick over and over and over again and I was like do you know how to do anything else <laughs> I got I think it had at least three tricks that it used over and over and over again <laughs> I was not a fan I think that there was a lot of stuff that should have been trimmed or not done as many times as it should have been. I think they should have been more judicious in their flashbacks and had fewer that were maybe a little bit more lengthy. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll talk a lot more about that. As for the acting nominations, I like I said, I, I think I agree with all of them. I actually think that Dustin Hoffman should have taken the Oscar that year. I have not seen everybody who was nominated that year. It was... Uh, Richard Burton in Anne of a Thousand Days, Peter O'Toole in Goodbye, Mr. Chips, and then, of course, like, John Voight in Midnight Cowboy. Uh, The person who won was John Wayne for True Grit. Now, True Grit. I've not seen True Grit, so. Don't watch that one. I'm going to let you go. (laughs) This is one of the rare times where I'm going to say, watch the remake. It's better. I have seen quite a few John Wayne films. I have not seen them all, but I've seen a lot of them. True Grit is by far his worst film, and it's his worst performance. He won that Oscar as a career Oscar because he had been previously robbed for his performance in The Searchers and The Quiet Man. That's why he won that Oscar. I think Dustin Hoffman should have taken it. 
Dustin Hoffman was really good. I did not like the -the over-the-top voice he put on for most of the film. There were several scenes, especially towards the end, where I thought he did an amazing job, like, just conveying, like, emotion and heartbreak, and I loved that. This um, movie also appears on AFI's Top 100 as the number 36 American film. Eh. Again, I think that's probably cultural impact due to it, like an exactly not necessarily because we would appreciate it as much now. I know. Yeah, I don't think this one ages super well. The line "I'm walking here" is number twenty-seven on AFI's top one hundred quotes. Obviously, that one yeah. I did notice. Yeah, that that <laughs> is iconic. And then other nominees from that year. So we had Anne of a Thousand Days. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which I think is a much more enjoyable film. It's definitely a little bit happier. Hello, Dolly and Z. Butch Cassidy is the only one I've I've seen of those, other than Midnight Cowboy. I might have seen Hello, Dolly at one point. I feel like that's a holdover from like the what is it like four musicals that won this Oliver, decade? The Sound of Music. God, I think I ca- My Fair Lady. I think I counted and it's like eight <laughs> or nine musicals have won Best Picture and like four or five of them are in the 60s. It's insane. Hey, it was a time for musicals. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Escapism. That's, that's you all know I'm what? saying. Best part of Midnight Cowboy, not a musical. <laughs> um, okay. Do we want to jump into watch notes? That's that's all I got for background. Yeah, let's do it. So I actually did enjoy this character introduction to Joe. Yeah, it's, quite a, a bit. it's a good character introduction. I wish that his character had had a more substantial arc because I never really thought that his, he, like you never really saw, the, he got sad sometimes, but there was never any like lasting pressure on his personality except for maybe at the very end which is symbolized by him throwing away his cowboy boots. But I wanted to see more evolution. Yeah, I I did like that kind of bookending of this emphasis on his clothing, because that is one thing that you really do get in the, the intro, is how fastidious he is with his appearance and the showy shirts and fringe jacket that he's wanting to pull together. And... I don't know. I really enjoyed the kind of nods to the the Western style with the kind of like turn and look in the mirror and like, oh, there he is. Yeah. Um, and I thought some of the the way it was filmed also kind of felt that way with him walking to the diner to say goodbye, where you get these kind of long lingering shots and then some some of this more like dynamic movement where it's just focused on him walking with him as he, he goes by. Yeah, and you've got like the, the song, the title song, Midnight Cowboy, playing... Mm-hmm. Which is a good song. I did also like it. I liked the way it cut between like him getting ready in his apartment and talking about like, I'll tell him where to put those dishes. And then to the diner where he supposedly worked and they're like, where in the world is he? Although I think it went on a little bit too long. And then he went to the diner and I was like, I'm expecting him to just not show up at the diner. Like, I think it would have been more powerful if he just like didn't even show up. And instead he just like went to the bus station. Yeah, but I feel like Joe also longs for human connection in a way that him not going to the diner would have been inconsistent with. So, like, him going there and saying goodbye Oh, I thought it'd be, like, more consistent if he just left. Well, 
there was that piece there and then some of the interactions he has on the bus ride immediately after especially with the the one child across the aisle oh my god also can we talk about him being the fucking asshole who's listening to a radio on the bus with other people (laughs) no it's like when people listen or like watch videos in public on their phone with no headphones what are you doing no stop it you are the asshole in that situation (laughs) i don't care what's going on but they do use the radio and the people on the bus with him to show how far he's traveling, where you have like the stations changing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this, I, that, that whole sequence, personally, I liked it. There's also a million flashbacks in this entire sequence. And here's my issue with these flashbacks. They're not one. They're not consistent in the style because sometimes they're in black and white, which I was like, is that supposed to denote when he's dreaming versus when it's just a flashback versus a daydream? I don't know, but that's inconsistent. Also, people just say his name a million times and it drives me fucking nuts. I'm like, we know who the character is. We know his name. Stop. And with those flashbacks, It's like somebody being like, oh, I'm going to tell you this thing and you don't know what it is. Ha ha ha. Like it's like they're it's like they want to like try and be like, oh, look, this movie's smarter than you because here's a glimpse of something that you don't understand yet. But they just like do it a million times so that I'm not invested in what's actually happening to Joe in the present. Instead, I'm just being like, I don't I don't really like what's happening. I don't care. I'm not getting enough out of the flashback to really like give me that much more context a lot of the time. Like it could have just been fewer flashbacks that were a little bit longer and I think it would have been more impactful. See, I take the complete opposite view of those flashbacks. That's because you, I actually loved you think you're I loved the breadcrumbs. You think you fancy. <laughs> but like you don't they didn't have to do it so much. Like they just it's like somebody had the idea and then they just did it excessively. Like I don't I don't mind having like little bit like little bits but don't give me like bits that tiny like give me something a little bit more meaty and my biggest issue too is because they did it so often for so little payoff like each time I think cumulatively there is payoff but like I just I kept breaking me out of the current action so that I just didn't care that much what happened to Joe See, it it really, for me, was the opposite. So I think the style, at least in the bus ride to New York sequence, served to do two things. One, show how long and interminable that bus ride was. And then two, kind of give us insight into how scattered and lost Joe is. So while I understand that you're like, it feels like it's taking you out of it. I think Joe himself is supposed to be like taken out of the moment anyway. I think you're reading too much into this and giving people like props that they don't necessarily deserve. And I also, here's my thing. You get he's lost when you see him in New York, which I love the sequence once he gets to New York and you see him trying to navigate New York. Like, cause one, the costuming's brilliant. And I think the casting of John Voight is very brilliant too because he does, you know, look like this happy-go-lucky guy and he's really tall. So he, him in like those cowboy boots and those bright shirts and that hat really stick out in those crowd scenes as he's walking mm-hmm. through New York and you see him like stopping to try and talk to some of these women. 
And because his whole thing is like, I'm going to go to New York and be a hustler, which I was like, I don't, where did you come up with this idea? And why do you think it's going to be so easy? But okay. But like him trying to interact with people and just not knowing how, I feel like that gave me so much more of a sense of how lost and out of place he is than like him staring out a window looking troubled as there's like a flashback to this person who we later learn is his grandmother. Although frankly, I never fully understood what was going on with the grandmother. I just, it seems like there were some abandonment issues. Oh, a hundred percent. Like his mom basically gave him to his grandmother and then left. I mean, I got that, but like there were like several flashbacks that I was like, I didn't need this flashback to understand that story. Like, I think they just overdid it. It was heavy handed. They definitely wanted you to understand that he loved his grandma and was sad that he was not there when she passed away. Like, yeah, and I got that. But at the same but time, I didn't she's a need it like driven into my head. Also, I, yeah, I was like, did he like was there like some abuse there? I wasn't sure. I don't think from his grandma, like not directly, but I will say that I think she was somewhat of an absentee parental figure, yeah. given the scenes that we had with. Like, oh, I'm leaving a TV dinner for you in the microwave. Like, But also, like, it's yeah. why are we shaming grandma for, like, getting a boyfriend? She can raise a kid and have a boyfriend at the same time. It's also not her kid. He got dumped on her. I don't think we're shaming grandma. So, at least I didn't get that so much as... I feel like, I feel like grandma got a little out. shade for her having a boyfriend. I didn't take it as her getting shade for having the boyfriend. I took it as shade as for her not being present, which I was a different twist on it in my mind. Yeah, but I got that the implication was that they were like, oh, grandma's not present because she's terrible because she wants to go on a date with her boyfriend. That's oh, what I got see, from I that didn't... flashback. And I, was <laughs> I like, didn't get that motivation. I don't, yeah. But yeah, regardless, Joe has a, a, a fucked up childhood. Yeah. <laughs> cool. At least that is Well, not just a fucked up childhood. I would argue what happened to him later is more fucked up <laughs> than his childhood. Yes, agreed. Probably his low point. Yeah. But anyway, I I love the sequence of him like being out of place in New York and trying to pick up women and them just being like not interested or being like, I don't know why you're stopping to talk to me. Go away. <laughs> and the you better be ashamed of yourself um, with his first mark that he was trying to. Joe, uh, dear God. Oh, my God. If you're going to be a hustler, you need to agree on price ahead of time and make sure they have the money. It's a lesson he never learns. He gets fucked over so many times by that. Never learns that lesson. Well, we were we're given evidence that he's not the brightest person. No, but like. And people commented on on it all the time. <laughs> yeah, which he was like, a, the character was like played aggressively stupid, which I didn't like. It, yeah, he needed some more like common sense. Just a little bit. Just like, you know, after the third time that's happened to you, maybe you just like agree on price ahead of time and like make sure they have the money. Like that's, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm with you. Because really the... I guess the first time that this really happens is when he follows this one woman with her poodle. Which, like, if some strange man on the street walked up and just picked up my dog, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, petting the dog? Totally legit. But he just goes over there and, like, picks up the dog. It was weird. Now, the way that they kind of shot that in the beginning with the focus on, like, dog level Mm -hmm. and just the feet of the two people there. So the the woman and Well, they use his cowboy boots to show... Again, that he doesn't belong all the time. That's like his identity. 
but yeah, he follows her up to her penthouse. They have a good time, which again, the way that this was filmed, I also actually liked. It went on way too long with the channels changing. They did it too too much. It needed to be trimmed. It could have been trimmed, but I did like the way that that was a metaphor for... I mean, I like the idea of it because, like, when they start having sex on the bed, there's, like, the remote control from the TVs mm-hmm. under them, which I was, like, first off, not realistic because whoever's on the bottom is going to be, like, stop, there's a TV remote in my back <laughs> because this is also a 1969 TV remote, so those things are clunky and just, like, pure metal. Somebody would have stopped that is all I'm saying, but... You never know. <laughs> I can guarantee you. But as... They're like doing it on top of this remote. It's changing the channel. So it's cutting between like them and then the TV with like the channels changing. And then as the channels changing get faster until it goes to just like static. So we realize like what has happened. They're done. Yeah. (laughs) But like the the changing channels before this pace sped up was like. And it was like too long. I was like, oh, we get it. You're doing a cool thing. So like do it already. (laughs) I just, I think I went into this movie with not a lot of patience. I'm starting to realize. (laughs) Yeah, I I, uh, definitely did not feel the same way. Like I thought for the most part, things were timed appropriately. I mean, I'm being nitpicky about the timing. Like in general, pacing's not bad. But like when you're constantly taking me out of it with flashbacks, I was just like, okay, I've seen this trick. It's cool. Let's let's go. Let's move. <laughs> so after that, this is when we get that first set of like, Joe, you do not know what the hell you're yeah. doing. He's trying to get money out of this woman, even though he didn't like agree upon what was going and down he's, in the first place. He's confused that she doesn't know that he's a hustler. And I'm like, I like, wh- how does he expect her to know if, he doesn't tell her? Like, you know what I mean? It's not going to be obvious to people that you are unless you tell them. Or you're, as we are told many times, on 42nd Street. I mean, I don't know about you, Ian, but when a stranger approaches me, like, in the wild, out in the world, you know, the place in where the wild? The place we're not allowed to go anymore because of quarantine. That mythical world. <laughs> um, I don't, my first assumption isn't this person's a hustler. Oh, that's my first assumption always. You're, you're like, definitely prostitute. Definitely <laughs> sex worker. No, like, that's just... That's definitely a lie. Yeah, like, I <laughs> just... On my part. You don't... I feel like I just... I don't assume that. But then she gets mad at her, him for asking her for money, slash she needs money for a cab so she can go meet... Is it her boyfriend or her husband? I'm not sure. I can't Maury. tell, but whatever it is, they have an agreement. Yeah. Because you can tell from that phone call that she's like, oh, you're with your friend? Okay, I'll see you after. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, he ends up giving her money. And we're like, Joe, that's not how that business works. In fact, this is the opposite of how <laughs> that business works. the absolute opposite of how that business I mean, it's how that business works if you're the client. I, yeah. It's Joe, bless his heart. So he ends up at a bar. And this is where we get the introduction to Rico, a.k.a. Ratso. Mm-hmm drinking and this is where i wasn't sure exactly what was going down at first because ratso is there trying to like give joe advice on how to better be a hustler and he's like oh you need management i know just the guy and i just 
I don't know. I was cringing the whole time because I'm like, Joe, you just got hustled yourself. I know. It's like. And now you're just trusting the first person that talks about it. Like, what? Yeah. And there's like the girl in the bar who keeps like. I think that was supposed to be a very feminine gay man. Was it? I feel yeah, I, I think that's who so that was supposed to bad be. and such like an idiot now. Oh no, it's all good. Well, because they, they they were like throwing her throwing around like some like slurs and stuff. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a person who's like just being homophobic or something. Well, I think you're right that they were being homophobic, <laughs> but it's even worse when it's like. Uh, anyway this was one of this was i think the most cringeworthy depictions for me of gay people in the film and only men there are no women yeah that is very true that is very true not to get too too into it but like the devaluation of feminine qualities like holds strong in society and with gay men in particular like it yeah (laughs) it's not great Uh, No, none of the female characters in this film are treated well. No. and I would say. I think one thing that was very clear to me is the way that they even shot and framed when you're looking at women in in the different scenes. It's very voyeuristic. Yep. Kind of in its style. So, like, focusing on a lot of bare legs is one, like, really clear example. I will say, though, we do get both male and female butts. We got a lot like of butts. the first time that I literally twice, one in the opening sequence introduction to Doe, and second when he was with his first non-client. I know. This um, is like, what, the first time in a canon episode? I think we've had butts since like the 30s pre-code. Like wings? Right? Like wings is the last no, time no, no, I no. genuinely remember No, no, no. We had butts in All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I remember now. Sorry, when they were swimming in the river. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I guess at least there's that, but like it's yeah, it 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 is shot very voyeuristically. You don't really get a lot of like emotional close-ups on the women. I don't think you get any. I, you get a couple, but like it's not. It's like it's like the emotion of somebody being like mad at Joe. <laughs> it, yeah, which is not the same. Yeah, or it's the super gross way they shoot all the Annie stuff. I did not like the way they yeah. treated her character. So it's clear that Ratso and Joe have like, to some extent, like sort of hit it I off. I wasn't sure. I was like, is Ratso trying to scam him? Like, it's not a hundred. Like, I mean, Ratso's motives aren't super clear, which I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that that's on purpose. Yes. Well, because I don't think we're supposed to know that he is such a con artist yet. I mean, please. Dustin Hoffman might as well have started his line with, so I'm a con artist, da, 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 with the way he was playing it. <laughs> like, well, I love, like I said, I do love his performance most of the time. There are some times where I want to be like, so could you get any more of like a caricature of like this New York con artist down on his luck guy? But I mean, I mean who knows? Maybe he's probably not. why that is a caricature. But it reminded me, I don't know, it reminded me a lot of like those like gangster movies from the 30s that just go like super hard in <laughs> on the like over the top. But like that, I mean, that this scene would be one of those for me. But um, I think he also has scenes where he definitely dials it back. Yeah, that's for sure. 
Now, there were some like kind of cool shots that I thought in their talk. So one in particular is when they're sitting at the table and like the way that they have Rico leaning in in focus and then Joe kind of closer out of focus while Rico's talking about this contact he has. I don't know. It kind of heightened that like seediness for me. Mm-hmm. Especially because of the way they they had Rico's makeup where he's super shiny and sweaty and like, I don't know, it just felt extra gritty. So I did like the way that that heightened that sense in the film. Yeah. We can tell very quickly that Rico is trying to scam Joe. It's like, okay, I need 20 bucks from you for an introduction to this. uh, Exactly. Which the whole time I'm like, oh, God, don't do it. Don't do it. I just, Um, yeah. The other part that I found actually kind of comedic, there were like a couple f- sort of funny moments, but the one the one here that I was like, is this funny or not, is when they're actually going up to the apartment of this guy who is supposed to be the management, as it yeah. were, um, as it's put in the film. And Rico is like wanting to get the hell out of there as fast as he can. And at first, I wasn't sure whether that was because he was scared of the person that Joe was going to go visit or he just wanted to like run off with his I'm money. I'm going to say a little bit of both because the guy who he introduces Joe to is fucking terrifying. Yeah, that scene could have gone many ways and it did not go the way that I expected. I don't I don't all. think it goes the way Joe expects either. <laughs> Cuz this guy is like I'm trying to think of like how to describe this scene. It's it this this man has made it his mission to try and return hustlers to the straight and narrow. He's a religious fanatic, but the way yes. he's talking at first, he just sounds like, like he sounds like he might be a pimp, but that he he does only like sounds crazy. But Joe's not picking up on it, and he's saying a lot of stuff to Joe that I'm like, you shouldn't be excited about what he's saying. No, and the overtone to me really felt like the the man was going to basically proposition yeah, Joe it, and basically force a sexual it encounter. It very predatory. And then it devolved then he, into this like talk, fever he's dream. Talking about, he's getting crazier and crazier. And then he's talking about like, we should just get on our knees right now. And we're all like, oh shit. And Joe's like, oh shit, this is not what I thought it was. And then the guy opens the bathroom door and there's like a Jesus shrine. Yeah. And then we get flashbacks to Joe's childhood where he had what appeared to be a traumatic baptism. But like, why did we, why did we have that flashback? Like, I feel like it's like, I don't even like Joe doesn't even need some sort of associated trial childhood drama for that to be a scary scene. You know what I mean? Like the scene is already like uncomfortable enough to where that I'm like, Joe, get out of there. Like this man's crazy. And we don't know exactly what he wants. See, uh, I still think the flashback heightened it. But it doesn't it doesn't deliver on anything. When does that point ever come back? The fact that he was baptized as a child, whether or not the experience was traumatic, never comes up again. Like it like him having flashbacks to like having sex with Annie when they were in like, you know, still together and in love, and then like having flashbacks mm-hmm. to like when they were horribly raped. Like because he is having like sexual encounters as part of like trying to be a hustler and stuff like that makes sense to me. Like, I'm like, of course that would bring back this trauma. And like, that's a huge part of the entire movie and the entire plot and the entire story. Him being baptized as a kid. I don't like, it doesn't come up again. Like it doesn't, 
seem to have any sort of lasting anything and like even like the feelings of abandonment from like his grandmother and like the guilt of not being with her when she died like it makes all of the stuff with Rico make sense that -hmm. flashback added nothing to me instead it just broke the scene I don't know it made it feel more like a fever dream to me it already felt trippy and like a bad trip anyway Joe runs away well and understandably as I think as I think we (laughs) always And he's really mad at Rico. Understandably as well. Because Rico just ripped him off. Yeah. (laughs) I love how I have the plot synopsis in front of me and it's like three paragraphs and then it's like in a flashback. And I'm like, you missed the other 40 flashbacks that have already happened. Yeah. The other thing when he's running around, though, is the emphasis on all of the other cowboy hustlers that are on the street. So... I don't know, this this felt like a double attack on Joe's dream of being a hustler, where it was like, okay, one, you're not special, and two, you just had this crazy, potentially traumatic experience with this guy in this random apartment. Like, I don't know. It was like, okay, basically, you probably shouldn't be trying to do this yeah, anymore. Yeah, like, this is, this is not this is your sign. a great idea. Yeah, that should have been, it should have been a sign. <laughs> but it's not. I mean, I tried I tried to honestly, I tried to rationalize it because like especially after there's the scene uh, where he picks a guy up at a movie theater and then once again, the guy like won't pay him. So he steals his watch and I was like, Jesus Christ, Joe. Or he's going to steal his watch, but then he doesn't steal the watch because the guy's like crying about it. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, Joe, we've already we've already talked about this. And by Mm -hmm. we've already talked about this. I mean, I've been yelling at my TV for like 20 minutes about it. But after that, I was like, you should not be doing this. Like, why don't you go home? And I was like, well, I guess at this point, like we see him like sleeping in movie theaters, kind of like it seems like he might be mm-hmm. sleeping in the subway. I was like, I guess he doesn't have the money for a bus ticket home, but I'm like, just try and pick up one person and get that bus ticket money home. Like, get out. Like, this is yeah. this is not what you thought it was going to be. Like, he thought he, he thought he was going to be able to waltz into New York City, pick up a couple of, like, rich women in Sugar their 40s. Mamas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. No, that's not how that yeah. works. But he does stumble across Ratso in a cafe that he's walking past. He goes in. Ratso obviously does not want to see him. But this is where I'm kind of... I don't understand why Ratso invited him, at least not at this point in the film. So it, this felt kind of like just falling out of the blue for me. Well, one, I feel like Ratso's condition has gotten noticeably worse. That's for sure. And I think that Ratso's there's, looking much rougher. Well, he and Joe are not like close friends yet, and they become very close. I feel like there is also probably an element for Ratso of like, here's a person who is dumb enough to where like I can manipulate, and like if I can get him work, like like basically he if he can be Joe's quote management, then he can get a cut. Like if he can help Joe actually like get work as a hustler, you know what I mean? Like I feel like there's yeah. probably a. Like, he probably goes into it thinking a little bit from, like, the con angle. And who knows? Maybe they're beneath that, like, crusty, sweaty exterior. There's a little bit of Ratso that, like, kind of recognizes Joe as, like, an also down-on-his-luck guy. Yeah, I think so. Well, and I think genuinely Ratso. Like, I do get the impression afterwards, after some of the scenes in the apartment, 
that he was lonely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, easily. So that, I I get it after the fact, but like as this is all happening, I'm thinking to myself, what, what is this batshit crazy train of events? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they could have made it a little bit clearer. We definitely had to fill in some gaps. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So we get introduced to Ratso's apartment, which it's a condemned apartment. Yeah. There's no power. Apparently, there's some running water, surprisingly. But it is not, not great. Joe, like, immediately falls asleep because we can tell he's been sleeping rough for a while now because he got kicked out of the Mm -hmm. place he was originally renting a room and they kept all of his stuff. And he has, this is the thing where he had, like, the dream, but it was in black and white, but, like... They don't consist. I was like, wow, why is this in black and white? And none of the other stuff was in black and white. Like, just make a stylistic choice and stick to it, please. Well, I think everything connected with his sexual assault was in black and white. Everything that wasn't was not. I No, it wasn't. Not everything. Because there's the bit where Annie's walking through the movie theater and she's in like a yellow and black dress. And you can see the guys who later like come after them. So maybe maybe everything like but that is or, connected. But that's not in black and white. Hmm. I don't I don't think that always holds true. Maybe it's just like around the actual sexual assault, and not the, just the events leading up to it. I don't know. But anyway, I thought I thought it was a confusing choice, and it wasn't clear to me why they would make that choice there versus other times. Like they just did, they weren't consistent in their use of black and white, and I didn't like that. Hmm. I'm going to have to think on that slash go back and potentially try and figure that out. But yeah, it's he wakes up and is obviously pretty, pretty traumatized. Well, and here's the thing where, again, talking about his cowboy boots as like a symbol of his um, identity. Ratto like took his cowboy boots off because he like fell asleep with his boots on. And Joe, obviously, he just had like a nightmare about a sexual assault. So I can understand waking up in a strange apartment with someone you don't know. And he like doesn't have his shoes on. And he kind of freaks out about like, why did like, where are my cowboy boots? And why did you take my shoes off? And Ratso's like, because you fell asleep in your shoes. Yeah, nothing malicious. Right. It's literally trying to do something nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I feel like that's the first time where I feel like that's where Joe really feels bonded to Ratso because he feels like this is a person I can trust. Mm hmm. Because, like, that is literally the person who has been the nicest to him since he got to New York. And literally all they did was, like, take his shoes off for him when he fell asleep. Yeah. Well, and this also, I really liked the way Ratso was lit in this scene. Because we're in this dark, dingy apartment. And it's just him kind of sitting in this wingback chair. And we get this really stark lighting on his face. And everything else just kind of, like, fades to black. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It was like kind of fitting that pattern of waking up out of a daze. So I, I I thought it was cool. So we get a couple more scenes now of them being buddy-buddy, stealing some food. Then it's like, okay, clearly Ratso is trying to make Joe appealing enough to actually be a hustler. Yeah. And so again. Basically saying like that cowboy shtick, like that's not going to work. Like that would have worked well, like but five then Joe's years like, ago. But I am a cowboy and is I'm really like, what he says. Joe, why can't you just like have your own identity or something? I don't know. But I mean, that is his identity. He's like, I like the way I look. It makes me feel good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, whatever. You do you, Joe. I can't fight that <laughs> rationale. Like you should dress the way you want to dress. But 
he is also just trying to like pick up New York women and this is clearly not working. <laughs> right. But th- through this whole set of scenes, it's like very clear that they are building a friendship. Mm-hmm. I do like some of the slightly funnier aspects, like with the shoe shine, where they're actually trying to just break into the shoe shine so that he can shine up Joe's boots. But all of a sudden, he's accidentally making an honest living. Because the cop sits down and then this other guy sits yep. down. And this is where we get kind of Razzo's backstory, which is pretty heartbreaking because he talks about his dad who was like an Italian immigrant shoe shiner and he talks about like how he like would be eight hours breathing in that toxic stuff, mm-hmm. coughed himself to death, and he'd make like three bucks in a day. Yeah. Like it's Which him saying that and then chain smoking like he is. I know. Also Joe chain smokes around oh. him. I'm like, guys, Ratso has respiratory issues. Stop it. Yeah, I was reading it sounds like it was probably tuberculosis. Maybe. Yeah, probably. Which I'm like, oh, Oh, geez. Don't smoke. Not good for you. Yeah. We also get the bit where, like, Ratso, I guess, like, steals the card of this other hustler or something. Mm -hmm. So then they cancel. Well, a, like, above board escort. Yeah. Like, literally just, I need you to take me to this dance. Please. I need a male companion. And and not for sex. (laughs) (laughs) Which... Also begs the qu- wait. Hold on, that begs the question: Can you not go to a party by yourself in the sixties? No, God. Okay. There was a hotel purely for single women. Like, <laughs> I guess. Also, it's New York City at night in nineteen sixty. I'm going to say though, if you've ever traveled alone as a woman, all female hostels, good way to go. I have zero insight in this category. It's just, it, you feel a little. You feel a little <laughs> safer if you're traveling alone. You. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that is, it's a fancy hotel, but it is essentially an all-female hostel, but fancy. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is where we get what I found to be an incredibly heartbreaking daydream of Ratso's. It. For many reasons. So long, they edited cutting between his face and Joe's face giving a thumbs up to like the Miami daydream so many times. I was like, how long is Joe standing on this stoop just giving Ratso a thumbs up? Like... Why, I love the idea of it. I love the idea of it. (laughs) We get the idea of like, they are seeing each other as like friends and partners now and they're like Mm -hmm. in it together. And like all of the stuff that he wants to do, like we get like Razzo's wants and dreams. That's great. We didn't need to get it for like six minutes, broken up into several segments, cut back and forth between him just smiling, looking at the door as Joe stands on the stoop and gives him a thumbs up. Give me, give me the look between them. Give me a little bit of that flashback. Give me the look between them. Give me the rest of the thing. Uh, see, I again it was way disagree. Because each time it's you just, go back, it's a different aspect of like Ratso's but it's like, all, but it's desires all the same and thing. wishes. So it's the first is he's running. Running on the beach. But like you could do like a little bitty mini montage of like running on the beach, drinking booze, talking to beautiful women, getting good food. Like I like... They're, quote, different, but they're all telling the same story. He wants to go to Miami. He wants to live the high life. He wants to relax. He wants to be able to walk and run. He wants to be healthy. He wants to be there with Joe. He wants to be surrounded by nice things. It's all the same. It's like telling me the same thing. Like, I get it. I get what he wants in that segment. Uh, But see, for me, it revealed, like, different aspects of what he wanted. So not only is he still hustling, he's desired by all the women that are there. He's able to be the one that is, like 
cooking and providing and is like the master chef of this experience like it goes beyond him just wanting to be there so much as him wanting to like you can do all that without chopping it up into those tiny little segments and interspersing it with basically the same couple shots or cut some of that out and the one time where I thought that it was okay that they were still cutting back and forth is when they cut back and then it cuts back to Joe getting thrown out of the hotel and people yelling at them like that part was fine, but again, it's like they, they did too much of it. You did too much of it. I'm I don't agree. correct in this. <laughs> I'm just, I'm adamant about it. Like, just because it's a good idea to do a little bit doesn't mean it's a good idea to do a lot. Moderation, my friends. Moderation. The end bit, though, I really loved how the daydream and the reality started like to that part, though. Like, that part is good, but I didn't need all of the bit that went on too long before it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was cool. And then they, they kick him out, of course, because he oh. he totally did not read that situation, which I'm kind of like, Ratso, did you not advise him that this was supposed to be like, you're, you're not supposed to be in I there like tell grabbing her butt. Joe is just that stupid or if like nobody's uninf- like informed him. Like, I, I'm not sure who I should be like frustrated with the most. <laughs> About Joe's inability to assimilate. Yeah. I really have no clue. But it, it, regardless, it's annoying. And I'm like, okay, come on. Yeah. So I guess next we should talk about the party. I don't think we should completely gloss over mm-hmm. kind of the winter scenes. Because it is pretty clear how dire things are getting. I mean, to the point where we're even getting Joe pawning his radio. Like... I know that we're super annoyed with the radio in general, but that has been like a very clear piece of his identity that he carries with and listens the whole time. And so the fact that he's getting rid of it really hits home. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but like it's for the best, really. He loves to listen to it loudly in public places. He does. <laughs> I loved the, what they did with the Orange Juice on Ice song, though. Because one, it's fucking cold. And then two, it's playing all through as we see them getting worse and worse and worse. And then it cuts off as soon as he hands over the radio. So it was like, that was kind of like a fun, fun thing for them to do. Music generally very good in this. Oh, totally agreed. And this, I mean, you can tell the desperation's building and it kind of ends with him, I presume, going to 42nd Street. Again, this reference I don't really get other than I seem to understand that that is the place where you would go to stand on a street corner and try and hustle. So he's he's looking to hustle on 42nd Street, mm-hmm. but then he finds a blood donation thing. And I, I kind of appreciated the fact that they played on the figurative selling your body with the literal selling your body. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, I appreciated that. But he's super excited, comes home to Ratso and is like, look at all this stuff, and I have money left over. Yeah. But Ratso's real rough. Oh, yeah, he's he's really bad. Um. We can, we can tell he's getting worse and worse. And this is where I think they go to the diner, right? And they get photographed. Um, they visit Ratso's dad and they have a heart to heart. But I, I found that scene not particularly memorable. Yeah, there's and there's some other the stuff diner, that happens. But, but they, they get photographed at the diner by these two people who like just the way they walk into that diner. I'm like, I don't like you. I'm like, you think you're really, really important. They're like the kind of people who would like say that they're artsy but in a way that people don't understand 
See, I had the opposite reaction. I was like, compared to everyone else, I would rather go to like find you and talk to you than like anyone else in this diner. I mean, agreed, but let's face it. Most of the people in this movie are not super fun, cool people. True. So maybe it's a low bar, but regardless. It's a low bar. <laughs> but anyway, they, well, and I also made me really mad that they just took his picture without asking permission. But honestly, that's, you know what? That's what broke it for me. If they had walked in there and then like asked his permission for his photo, I would have been very down with those people. And then I would have thought they were cool. But then they didn't ask for permission. They just took his photo. And threw a flyer at him. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's rude. But anyway, so it's this invitation to this like Warhol-esque party that, um, Joe insists on taking Ratso too. And there's an interesting bit where Ratso is like very hurt. Cause he's like, you got invited. I didn't get invited. Like my picture wasn't taken and stuff. And Joe's like, no, no, like I'm not going without you. And I think that's where we get some of like Ratso's deep seated feelings of rejection. Yeah. Um, and abandonment. Yeah. And so they go to the party that I God, one, the sequence was too long Two, that type of party would drive me nuts. And which is weird because I absolutely love like the Warhol Museum in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, like one of my favorite museums. And I think Andy Warhol's cool, but like uh, there was a lot of posturing going on in that that party that I was not super about. I thought it was fascinating to watch. It just went on too long, though. I feel like I've seen—I don't know—I feel like I've just seen sequences like that before. Um, but Joe's all about it. He finds it very interesting. Ratza, we can tell his conditions deteriorating. He's not handling stuff super well. And then there's actually a really heartbreaking moment where he's like tucking away food. And they're oh. like, why are you stealing the food? You don't have to it's steal free. the food. It's free. And he's like, well, if it's free, then I'm not stealing it. But it's just heartbreaking. Cause you're like, that is his impulse is the like, I need to steal the food because he's so unused to having enough food. Yeah. And that, that was to me kind of like the highlight of that scene was that interaction Mm -hmm. and just like the heartbreaking nature of it. That was a a highlight for me as well. I think the other part that I, I, for lack of a better word, enjoyed was Joe's reaction to smoking a joint. One, he didn't understand what it was. So he was just like, he wasn't passing it. (laughs) Even though people I was just were trying like to take it away. I rolling my eyes because I was like, oh my God, this is such a 60s stereotype. Well, but he's also super naive, so I'm not surprised. But like also, he's been in New York so long at this point in like the 60s. How has he not run across this yet? Because he hasn't been, I don't know. I don't know. Also, like even not in New York, like how has he not, it's the 60s. How has he not run across weed? I have no words. Also, if you're at a party that trippy, don't just accept stuff that people give you. Ask what stuff is. Again, he has zero this street is, smarts, even though he's I trying to be say, a hustler in New York. This is this is me as like a small woman versus like large man uh, Joe Buck, where <laughs> I'm like, none of this behavior is safe. Yeah. Now, I did kind of like how everything was shot after he had smoked a lot of weed. Honestly, it felt the exact same way that they shot his flashbacks. Nothing special to me. It was a lot more vibrant in my mind, the way that I'm remembering it. I had the same feel, though. I was like, oh, we're doing this again. Oh, well, I liked it. That leads us into him in what I presume is a dark room where he runs across. Um, yeah, so her her name is Shirley, played by Brenda Vaccaro. Yeah, I liked her. I liked her fine. I thought she did a good job. Um, 
But as they're leaving, Ratso kind of like collapses on the stairs and Joe goes back to like kind of help him. And he he's basically like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, you can go. And he does the thing and where it's like, meanwhile, are you sure we're all over okay? here. Like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. You, you have to, would you have to say yes? But we're all over here being like, he's not okay. No, I do kind of find it interesting how Shirley reacted to the idea of paying a prostitute for the night. Cause it, it felt very nonchalant and just like, eh, okay. I feel like you shouldn't be surprised considering that like, she clearly runs in a different crowd. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's not surprising so much as I was, that's the thing about this film that it doesn't feel like it's very preachy in my mind. Uh, I'm going to say not as preachy as I would expect from something of the time. Like it definitely could have been preachier. Mm-hmm. I still don't feel like everybody was as humanized as they should have been. Well, that's true. I'll say, I'll say with that. It's definitely, I will say this movie is definitely a mark in progress. <laughs> For sure. It's not perfect, but it's better than a lot of what came before it. Yes. So this next scene, we get Shirley and Joe at her place. Joe is having issues. He's real frustrated because he's having some performance anxiety. I I presume it's performance anxiety or maybe it's some drug-induced something or other. I was going to say he smoked a lot of weed. So it's probably... And he was like drinking. So it could be... A combination of lots of things. It could be just like... Yeah, like drug shit. The one thing that I do find, this again goes back to the, like, I feel like the idea that Joe might be gay slash is engaging in gay prostitution, like, comes back multiple times. And this was, like, kind of the last part where it did, where they're playing scribbage and, like, she lands on gay and, like, that is his trigger to be like, okay, no, I'm actually in this. And apparently they have a fabulous night afterwards. So... Which they, again, hold on, they have sex on top of the scribbage dice. So again, that somebody would have stopped and been like, hold on, there's scribbage dice, which they show it like having made marks in their back. I just, some people are into that. You stop and you clear away the scribbage dice. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I would want to clear them away because I wouldn't want to lose them, honestly. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, ow, this hurts. Hold on, let's move the scribbage dice. But... Yeah, I, and I'm I'm torn on that. Where if it's it's more of like a Joe being confused about his sexuality, or if it's just like that's such a reminder of the trauma. Because mm-hmm. I would, I mean, I would argue that like, you, like the character could potentially be bi. I think that that's like a potential argument there. But I I feel like it's more of a it's probably something that like is connected to the fact that he was raped. Yeah, yeah, I came to that realization right about now as well where I was like it's that's probably why it's triggering I think that's that's what the trigger is like I don't think it's like necessarily him struggling with his sexuality or like uh, homophobia so much as just it's a reminder of like that super traumatic Mm -hmm. event that happened to him yeah anyway it's apparently a really good night because she starts recommending Mm -hmm. him to one of her friends the next morning which the way she is dressed and this apartment like what does she do? I don't know. Some sort of artsy something. But also not. The way she's dressed felt a lot more straight-laced than the crowd she was running with the previous night. I mean, the 60s, like, st- weren't, like, crazy. Like, I don't know. I feel like when you look at, like, the what people wore in, like, 
party time versus what people like more mainstream people were wearing in the late 60s like there was a lot of crossover in Mm, a lot of ways gotcha especially if you're talking about like a night out many dresses were popular all around you Mm -hmm. know stuff like that like it wasn't once you hit late 60s it wasn't as like segmented yeah so anyway he ends with this really awkward handshake and comes like you do oh yeah comes home to ratso who is even rougher than before Okay, so this is where I started being like, oh, it's getting really good. Oh, no. I mean... It... We're like 20 minutes from the end of the film at this point when like I've finally perked up. <laughs> this is where Dustin Hoffman's performance absolutely broke my heart. Because Ratso is feverish, he is bedridden, and he explains to Joe that he can't... He doesn't think he can walk anymore. Yeah. And he just starts sobbing and he's being like, you know what they do to you and you can't walk anymore, which I was like, I don't know. What do they do to you, Ratso? What do they do? Well, this was, I was reading a little bit like the tuberculosis thing. Like he would have been in a sanatorium yeah. like the rest of his life. And if you can't walk, like. Yeah, I, I assumed it was more of like a, he would have been like hospitalized or something mm-hmm. like that. But I was like, I was like, was there something horrific that I don't know about? I feel like um, if you can't walk, you would just get forgotten in a state-run sanatorium somewhere like that i think is his fear yeah i think especially well yeah because he definitely wouldn't have been in like a very nice one um because not all sanatoriums were terrible but yeah so i i totally get why he would be so upset about this because i i get the impression he has the same vision that we have as the stereotypical overcrowded underfunded hellscape that has been featured prominently in the horror genre. Well, Ratso's not going to go anywhere super nice. Like no, he's, he's not at all. <laughs> completely impoverished. Ratso's freaking out, and that's when Joe just he's like, "I'm going to take him." He's well. First off, he decides he's going to take him to Miami because that's where Ratso's always wanted to go. And he's even got like the signage in the apartment. There's oh. like some stuff from like Miami and like Florida. This is when Joe realized, so he needs to get the money for the bus tickets. It's what, like 57 bucks or something? Which is a lot needs. of money. Yeah, at that time. And so he's out hustling again at the arcade, shooting this game thing. And this is when we get Mr. Townie, who is basically propositioning him. And this is, this is, I... This guy is ugh. so annoying. And so He's very annoying. And I, Joe is as annoyed by him as we are. Uh, it's like he's talking talking on about like okay let's go have food oh no i gotta go up to my room and take a call come with me really quick and while we see joe giving himself a pep talk in the mirror that like okay gotta do this gotta get to miami you're gonna do this which is again yeah. hearkening back to kind of how he when he's like feeling good and dressed he'll be like turn look at the mirror and be like there he is so yeah i don't know it's you can tell he's trying to hype himself up but this is where i just I hated the way that Mr. Townie was like, oh, you should, you got to go. Okay, thank you for helping me be good. And I'm just like, oh, God, he has so much shame. Maybe accurate for the time, but still. Dealing with some shit. And the fact, I guess the biggest thing that I had wished had been different with how the scene ends is like, fine, Joe needs the money. He'll steal the money. But I don't like that he ultimately beat up Mr. Townie to the point where he probably killed him. Like that's the impression that we got out of it, even though definitely, he definitely knocked his dentures out. Well, but then the way that he like stuffed the phone in his mouth, like 
yeah. at the end gives me the impression that it was worse yeah, than Yeah, I honestly, get. I wasn't sure if he killed him or not, which I... I guess, like, that point is just, like, look how desperate Joe has gotten because we've seen him in similar situations before. Because, yeah, the guy's, like, when Joe comes out of the bathroom, he's, like, praying. He's, like, oh, thank you for helping me be good. Like, you can leave now. And Joe's, like, um, I still need the money. And we're all, like, yeah, he still gave you his time. You should still pay him. Like, it, 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 so then the guy, like, doesn't want to pay him. And then Joe's, like, I'm going to beat you up. And then he's, like, well, here, take this. And Joe's, like, okay, well, I need more money. I don't know how Joe knows that, like, it's in the wallet in the dresser, but the guy's, like, hugging the dresser, well, and that's when Joe, Joe like, saw him take the money out, so, like, he knows gotcha. where it is, but... Right. I, uh, I don't know. I just wish it hadn't escalated to that entire, like, scene. Now, I will say it didn't feel like Mr. Townie was getting punished for being gay. Like, this felt like no, more of felt, a comment on Joe. it felt Joe. like... Joe was beating up an innocent person right. because he was desperate for money. So I I will give the film credit for that at least. <laughs> like Yeah. Um it could have been worse, but still not great. Yeah, I'm torn on that too cuz I I cuz like Joe has been so like he's threatened violence at this point and then there's also weird superfluous flashbacks that show him having maybe have been like a bit of a violent child, mm-hmm. but like he never like he, you know like he never actually does it anything until this point which i guess like the argument is like he's so desperate to help his friend that like it took this to push him to that but i feel like just knocking the guy's dentures out is enough to get that point across yeah like punching him even once was probably plenty like this dude's yeah. not putting up a fight so anyway he gets the money they get on a bus I do love that Rico notices there's blood on his jacket and he's like, I hope you didn't kill him. And Joe's like, I don't want to talk about it. Of course you don't. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. okay. Now the ride down, we like, we're rapidly approaching the end here and we get some, this is, this is where Dustin Hoffman should have earned his, or like he earned his Oscar, but he wasn't given his Oscar. Yes. Are you thinking about the scene where he isn't basically wets himself? Yeah, Ugh. and everything, just in his entire stuff on the bus ride. But yeah, he he wets himself, which he's, of course, so upset about and, like, bad about. Well, he starts crying over it, which yeah. under I, I get it. I get it. This is, like, adding insult to injury. Like, as an adult, that's just not something you expect to happen to you. No. Well, and the way that Joe plays it off, I think, does a lot for his character in the sense of the quality of his person, not in the sense of he is a character in a book. Honestly, to me, it told me less. I feel like so much of Joe's personality. I was like, I just get more out of like his and like uh, Ratso's interactions and like Ratso's response to him than I do Joe's personality. Because like, honestly, even at this point, I'm like, you've been through a lot of really traumatic shit. You might've just killed a man. You don't seem super changed in any discernible way. Yeah. Yeah, your point about him not really having an arc, I, I. It's not agree. much of one. You get there's a little bit of one at the very end, but it's not. It's not a. It's not as much as I would expect, mm-hmm. given how much shit goes down. And John Voight does like there are some beautiful close ups of him where you can tell he's like really sad or upset about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like in specific in the movie theater scene, there is a close up on his face where you can just see he's got just kind of like dead eyes. Mm-hmm. 
and I think stuff like that, he does a really good job. And I think everything on this bus ride with Ratso, he does a really good job. But I do think Dustin Hoffman really carries the emotional weight of this film. That's for sure. I agree with you there. We know Rico's wet himself. They've stopped, and so Joe is getting him some more clothes, which I thought thought it was very... I thought it was an interesting choice to have him buy them from a liquidation sale, which, like, to me was a little bit of foreshadowing of events to come. Mm, I didn't really pick up on that. But uh, he doesn't wear... He's not wearing his cowboy stuff anymore. He's got, like retired florida man outfit and he's got like a hawaiian shirt for for rico but the two things and you mentioned one of them earlier the first is where he tells the the woman in the food shop i think he's getting donuts or something i don't know that Mm -hmm. he's from new york not from texas so that was the first thing and then he threw away his cowboy gear before Mm -hmm. he gets back especially those those boots Mm -hmm. they lingered on those boots he gets back on the bus. Um, he clearly, like, I guess, changes Ratso in the back of the bus into his Florida mm-hmm. gear. Because Ratso's even, like, he's he's so in and out of it at this mm-hmm. point. Like, we can tell it's getting really bad. And the way they shot this where it was kind of a medium shot on both of them and it kind of zooms more in on Joe and then back out and, and Ratso's dead... Joe's just been going on about like what they're going to do when they get there. And like, it's almost here. So close. So long to realize, but that just, that felt extra tragic for me. When he does realize, um, John Voight plays it perfectly. And he just like, he like kind of tries to wake, wake him up and like touches his face and stuff. And then realizes, and then you have the bus having stopped Mm -hmm. and they like got the bus driver and you see just this lot, once again, lost looking Joe, because this is probably the most lost we've seen him look since he's been buddy-buddy with Ratso. And the bus driver being like, well, you need to close his eyes. Uh, and he does. And he reaches over and he closes his eyes. And they're like, well, there's nothing we can really do right now. So we'll just keep going to Miami. And then it's just Joe sitting in the back of the bus with his, the body of like his best friend. Yeah. And then when he kind of like sits sits the corpse up a little bit higher and like puts his arms around him like kind of protectively and he just looks devastated and like lost like that that was a very powerful image yes my eyes might have gotten a touch misty i shed some tears i did not share a single full tear in this one but i got a little misty at that well that's saying a lot for you (laughs) <laughs> that's not i cry at movies all the time honestly it's more surprising that i didn't cry with this movie i think we, you and i have talked about this in the past how sometimes with certain movies you just got to be in the mood for mm-hmm. it when you start watching it and i just don't think i was like in the right place to fully enjoy this mm-hmm. one i did my best but it is a trial to get through in many ways it's rough it's not an easy like it's not a movie that you're like, hmm, I'm, I had kind of a rough day at work today. I'm going to put on Midnight Cowboy. You don't do that. No, that's a recipe for <laughs> just going like to just... bed at 5 p.m. because you're so depressed. <laughs> like, no, don't. Now, I I would venture to say that it's. I, I think it's probably worth watching. Maybe like specific scenes like in particular towards the end I think are more powerful than a lot of it but I don't know I think if you're really interested in film history 
if you're really interested in movies of that era from like mid to late 60s into 70s, then I think it's worth a watch. I definitely would not recommend this to a lot of people, though. One thing, because it's such a downer and two, like it is really, really rough. And like I hopefully nobody who would have been triggered by any of that stuff is still listening. But like you just it you you got to be careful if you're watching this. Like you cannot watch it if sexual violence is going to be like a, a bad trigger for you because like they flash back to that repeatedly and it's not like crazy graphic but like it's enough to where it's tough to watch. Yes. Agreed. So, anyway, lists. Lists. <laughs> So I have decided that for the time being, I think it's going to be my number 34. So definitely not the very bottom, but kind of down a little bit. And we'll see if I actually revisit this a bit under more reflection. Because for me, the performances were pretty good. But really, some of the way it dealt with the themes, and honestly, the fact that it was such a downer just did not make it as much of a standout for me so anyway that puts it before Cimarron um, which had so many issues with it I think some of it in terms of representation Midnight Cowboy did have but less so um, much less so but then when you when you think about Grand Hotel in particular I think it just Grand Hotel felt a little tidier to me I don't know it's it's got those same themes of like loneliness Mm -hmm. And it's got like that element of tragedy. um... But in a way that had more heart for me, where it's like you cared about the characters more. Not not to say I didn't care about Joe and Ratso, but like I felt more engaged in Grand Hotel. Also just like, like Joe really frustrated me. Mm -hmm. The like aggressive stupidity really frustrated me. Aggressive Um, stupidity. (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I have to I have to agree though where I feel like the thing that we've watched that has the most similar vibe is Grand Hotel, but in a totally different style. But it's but yeah, but it's it's it, well it's in a, most ways it's different. Um I mean, you are still dealing with like issues of like relationships and infidelity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I I I did also like Grand Hotel more. Um I think currently I'm going to put it at 26 so very middle of the pack a little bit low yeah yeah so after oliver actually um even though i wasn't like the biggest fan of oliver like there were some characters in oliver i really really liked like i really enjoyed like fagin and dodger and nancy Mm -hmm. but above around the world in 80 days because like even if I hated the editing a lot of the time and I hated the use of flashbacks, like it's still, it's not like around the world in 80 days. It's just like a travel vignette and like talk about some stuff that needed to be edited down. <laughs> Plus just like, we actually have like dynamic characters in this one that are like telling a story. All right. So that is it for midnight cowboy. Next time. We are actually going to be doing a special episode where we will be reorganizing our lists and talking about our list. I feel like for the past 10 to 15 episodes, honestly, we've been being like, oh no, I've backed myself into a corner on my rankings. Yeah, past Ian has made some really 
questionable ranking decisions. <laughs> cough, cough, Emil Zola. Cough, cough last weekend. Um, do you want to know um, where that is on my list right now so you can get a little bit I'm angry? I'm so scared. Uh, it no, is at I'm, 32. I'm so it ah, is so low. Yeah. <laughs> it no, does not belong so there. <laughs> but I've, I've done the same thing. I definitely have stuff that I have uh, ranked too low. I have some stuff that I've ranked too high. And I think that there are definitely some of these movies that like, you have to sit with them a little bit because mm-hmm. a lot of times Ian and I record the day after sometimes the day of watching the movie just so we can try and keep it as fresh as possible in our minds and hopefully cut down on the amount of chronology we fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, you don't really have the time to necessarily like sit with the movie um, and like really like think about it the way you might need to or like there have been movies that I find myself just thinking about them a lot Mm -hmm. that kind of surprise me Um, so we will be reorganizing our lists and then recording an episode where we sort of talk about what changes we made yeah I'm looking forward to it I've been wanting like I've been really really craving the opportunity to reorder for a while so me too all right until then, you can find us on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can write us in at Best Pictures Podcast at gmail.com and rate, subscribe, review, especially rate and review. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And as Maggie said, join us next time for our special ranking reordering episode. <laughs>